from digitiki.com. Astronaut saved. He's talking about those two chaps in the spaceship. Oh, I do hope they're traveling first class. What he means is they've splashed down here. Then they come to rescue us. Let's go greet them. Oh, how exciting. Whatever does one say when one meets an astronaut? One doesn't say anything. One just throws confetti. Oh, oh. I love confetti. Welcome to the Quiet Village. Welcome back to another visit here at the Quiet Village. I'm your host, Digitiki, coming to you direct from Digitiki. Dot com broadcasting straight from the heart of the quiet village to you and all the ships at sea and welcome we are down for another episode here part of our our coronavirus <laughs> series i guess you could call it um but hey you know we're in the modern age and we can actually connect via satellite which is pretty darn cool i have with me via satellite uh, a really wonderful person I, I have wanted to get on for quite some time, Tom Duncan from Florida. He is a, a well, there's no other way of saying it. He's a rocket scientist, and he has done a lot of sleuthing about the uh, the life of Gene Rains, and he has a little bit more uh, clues to fill in some of the empty spots for us, and he's going to be on in just a moment. Actually, he's going to be on right now to talk about some of the things he's found out about Gene Rains, the the mystery man of Exotica. So without further ado, let's just get right down to the interview. All right. Welcome, everybody. I am here with, uh, I don't know how to say this, rocket scientist. I don't know too many rocket scientists, but this Tom Duncan from Florida, who uh, is a bona fide rocket scientist, and um, and I would also say exotica sleuth too. So you've you've done quite a bit. Aloha, welcome to the Quiet Village. Aloha, Mark. All right, pleased to be here. It is good to have you. And we met years and years ago at Hukilau. I still remember meeting you at Hukilau. Indeed, uh, at the, and we had a lot of fun at the Maikai, didn't we oh, not? Oh, yeah, that, I love that place. Uh, and I've talked about it before, and if anybody listening has never been to the Maikai, it's one of those places when you describe it to people, people start thinking you're you're being hyperbolic. But nothing you can describe will live up to what you're going to experience when you go there. <laughs> Indeed, the visuals, the of course, the fabulous drinks that go back to Don the Beachcomber, and uh, you know, and the food even is is great. But do you know, in this time of uh, of a pandemic, that they have drinks to go? Unfortunately, they're about two hundred fifty miles away from me, <laughs> and by the time I get down there and sample it for quality, I don't think I would make it back. Right. Aren't they doing it by the gallon? They are. Which is crazy. I mean, you'd have to have one heck of a thirst or a big, you know, or a big family that's over 21. Because can you imagine ordering a gallon of jet pilots? One of those knocks me out. Ah, yes. 
that's the thing that's encouraging is they seem to be finding a way to stay alive. Yeah. In this trying time, you know, I mean, as we talk, we've got our first tropical storm a few hundred miles away brewing off Southeast Florida. Oh my, I didn't Uh, know that. And of course we're all swirling in a pandemic and on the far horizon, we have murder hornets. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, what, what else? I'm, I'm waiting for the asteroid or something, you know, something is something really crazy has, you know, it's like, <laughs> you couldn't write this as a script. No one no. would believe it. This no. is truly a time when life is stranger than fiction. Yes. Yes. Wow. So the, I, ha- I'm having Tom on here because, you know, one of the things that I've done a lot and you, you of all people know this, um, is I've been a big proponent of Gene Rains because he's been a real mystery. I mean, a real, real mystery. And uh, you, Tom, have done a lot of sleuthing, and you have sent me some cool, cool stuff. So this show, we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the info that we've managed to uncover. And the interesting thing is, you know, I did an interview with with Paul Conrad, who was his his piano player through the first album and before they, they even did recordings and he lost track with Gene Rains and didn't know what happened to him after he left the band. So it's pretty crazy. This guy is one real enigma. Truly said, uh, but I love a good mystery. Yeah. And, and you laid out the challenge. <laughs> I did. I did. I kept calling for anybody knows anything about this guy. And um, and uh, you have sent me newspaper clippings of the Gene Rains group performing on the mainland in at least a couple of places. I think one of them was Chicago. Yes, the at the Edgewater Hotel um, and the Polynesian uh, Village it was, I believe. And that was his, his first mainland booking on a tour that lasted almost a year, his first mainland tour. And it took him from the Edgewater where he was performing with Kent Gerard and his dancers and some other uh, memorable Hawaiian performers uh, through the Midwest out to Vegas and Reno. And um, actually, you know, he recorded his first of three albums um, on in, in Honolulu. But the, the other two albums that he recorded – um, you know, far across the sea, I think it was, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Rains in the Tropics were recorded in Hollywood on that first mainland tour. And so he found time out uh, on that tour to to record as well as to uh, perform in a number of venues. That is something that I didn't know. See, you just informed me. So, those two albums were recorded in the ma- on the mainland. They Correct. were not recorded in Hawaii. And the reason it? I know this is that um, University compiled the old Decca uh, recording logs, and it gives the time and place and the um, and the songs that were recorded, and you can and 
the al the DECA album number so you can correlate those all together uh, along with the timing. And so uh, the, the first one happened before he went on that first mainland tour. And, uh, you know, of course, that's a story in itself. How did that all happen? Uh, and maybe we can delve into that in a minute. But but he was, you know, at that time, he was on a DECA contract to pro for five years to produce two albums per year, something he obviously never fulfilled because, you know, he recorded a total of three original albums. And then there was a compilation album that was uh, issued by the budget uh, arm of DECA Vocalion. Mm -hmm. And then, then he was a backup musician on several other works that, that we are aware of. Uh, one was uh, Axel Stordahl, uh, his Magic Islands Revisited, because in that album, he uh, was the, uh, he, he played, he and his quartet played the introduction to more orchestral pieces that were Stordahl's, uh, you know, uh, typical arrangements. You know, back early again, how, how did he meet, you know, or get in, engaged by DECA? That happened back in 1959 when Alfred Apaka, you know, discovered him uh, in his quartet playing in the, uh, the non-commissioned officers club at Hickam Air Force Base in Honolulu. And uh, he was playing in the Ripple Room, it was called then. And it was a kind of a cool mid-century room complete with aquariums and a very cool looking bar. Um, and, uh, but Alfred uh, it asked him to come uh, perform at the Shell Bar. And uh, at the Shell Bar, um, he was introduced to Sonny Burke, the uh, DECA vice president, who was actually there to record an album of Alfred Apaka. And well, you know, you know uh, at that time, 59 is when Denny's coming out with his exotica. We had uh, uh, roughly right after that, I don't know if it's 59 or if it was 60, where Lyman broke off from Denny and started his group. And of course, right in, you know, in 5960, that's in deep in the heart of the Hawaiian music craze, too. So I yeah, imagine it's interesting you mentioned Lyman. In fact, his was the uh, the act to follow Lyman when Lyman departed the Shell Bar. Wow. Okay. Cool. So yeah, you know, this is one of the other things that I've found out, and and what I know to be true today is um, Hawaii, especially Honolulu. It really is a small town, and all the musicians know each other. They work together. Um, you know, Paul Conrad, when I interviewed him, he talked about all the people he worked with. He was actually slated to be the piano player for Lyman's first recording, but that fell through and, um, he did all kinds of arrangements for Lyman and for Denny. Um, you know, everybody, you know, they borrowed instruments from one another 
So, you know, it was it sounds like it was a nice cozy group that they all worked together and pooled together and they knew each other and um, you're you're right. You're so right. I mean there were so many connections and one uh for example, uh, you know, when one left, you know, maybe the quartet to go to another group, someone else that you would later recognize would come in and take their place. I mean, it was a very interesting mix, you know, of musicians. And, you know, for example, there's a, you know, a crossover, you know, between um, Gene and uh, Gene's, the end of Gene's career as we know it as a, musician and uh alex kayak another you know individual that's in it enigmatic yeah you know for a different reason the uh you know he was part of a group called the invitations that uh was a harmonizing group that he was invited to join this book before they recorded their rsvp album that was uh well received but buddy foe was the percussionist in that group mm-hmm. when uh when alex joined that and then buddy foe replaced replaced uh excuse me augie cologne uh and martin denny's group i didn't augie left to go do to do his own thing i did not know that either <laughs> okay and then, wow and then at the end of gene's <laughs> career the last thing we know of gene was being was as a um a vibes organ player uh, for an entertainment group led by Buddy Foe in 69 to 71. You know, so Buddy Foe was doing his own thing and he toured, among other places, he toured, you know, Tampa, Florida, as well as California. I mean, all across the country. And so the last, you know, visibility that I had of Gene as a musician was in 1971. 71. Okay. Well, see, that takes us, that takes us a, a fair ways further than I thought. So, I mean, the thing we know for a fact, he was, he was an Air Force officer. So he was in the Air Force band. And that's. In fact, yes. Uh, the 501st Air Force Band of the Pacific uh, stationed at Hickam uh, Field in Honolulu. And um, in fact, you know, there were newspaper articles that alleged that Jane was a uh, French, a French Hawaiian ancestry born on Kauai. Uh, wow. But this is the thing you have to, <clears throat> you have to do when you use newspaper articles is correlate that. And that didn't hold up because in 1969, uh, Jane gave an interview with a Honolulu newspaper that said he was actually came from Oregon with the Air Force um, you know, to Honolulu. So he was Oregon born. And uh, we think he ended up in Oregon at the end. Uh, the genealogical evidence suggests that, but it's by no means sure. Mm-hmm. But uh, of course, while he was playing as part of the Air Force band, he was playing in the Ripple Room and he got to know um, Paul Conrad, who was in the Army band of the pacific the 264th (laughs) which was located at nearby fort shafter um so of course they they ended up getting together it was it was only something that we would expect uh it it appears that gene got out on his you know 
left the service around, you know, 1950, you know, 9-ish mm-hmm. and the early part of 1959. But, and he continued to play as a, um, a musician in the Ripple Room, but then he, he branched out and went to Don the Beachcomber mm-hmm. uh, as well. And uh, of course, it was in the Ripple Room that Alfred Apaka you know, uh, you know, saw him play and decided there was something there. And by the way, one in the introduction uh, to uh, Sonny Burke at the Shell Bar, uh, Sonny was there to record an album from for Alfred Apaka, and so Sonny suggested that Gene and his quartet participate in that recording, and so he did. But then we know that Alfred Apaka passed away um, not long after. And so that recording was not actually issued for many, many years. And it finally came out as the best of Alfred Apaka in several volumes. Gene Rains is is a backup is part of the backup uh, musician his group. Oh, I for that I, album. I didn't know. See, I didn't know that either. So that's pretty cool. So we actually have more recordings of Gene Rains. I Indeed. do. I do know about the Axel Stordahl one, which which um, yeah, it's like interludes. He they do the you know the the classic exotica combo sound in between the big orchestral pieces and it's sad that that album it's a really good album and it has not been reissued anywhere digitally that i know of yet so You know, it's it's a real shame because his music was very classic Denny Lyman esque. I mean, he fits right in with them, but he definitely the band has its own sound too, which is nice. You can I think as he developed it, you know, with some of the Oriental sounds, uh, he actually turned that what was a music Oriental. Yes, I think was the way it was advertised. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, you know, that was his claim to uniqueness amongst the Denny Lyman, you know, genre. Yeah. And that's actually a, a good, I mean, since the term exotica was already taken at that point, he couldn't call it that. <laughs> yeah, so you managed to track down... Um, I am feverishly looking on my computer for those uh, those uh, those uh, newspaper clippings you sent me. I know I have them saved here, but for the life of me, I can't find them right now. But um, 
you found them. Um, so, let's see, where am I trying to go with this now? Where, well, where should it, it we go? Clears, with- <laughs> you know, let, let's try a different tack. Gene did appear to be influenced by the Femme Fatales that were out there. In fact, one of the first mention I can ever find of him was printed by a, uh, a columnist on the, the Honolulu Advertiser in November of 1957. He said there was a public message that uh, Sergeant Gene Rains had Saturday club dates for Mushy Robinson, who was a tap dancer and singer formerly uh, associated with Duke Ellington, and Sydney, a uh, Honolulu exotic dancer known variously as the Voodoo Queen and the Cuban Temptress. <laughs> and I have an, I actually have a copy of an ad that shows, you know, Sydney and her very you know, exotic costume, you know, <laughs> scantily clad exotic costume. And and we do have a hint, you know, from the, there were newspaper articles later on during his first mainland tour that he got married and um, they didn't know the bride's name. But interestingly enough, I found a genealogical record that has him that has a Gene Rains being married in Las Vegas to a Maryland uh, Shopes, I think it was. And it was at, it was in August of 1960 when he was actually performing in Las Vegas. So the dates uh, and the newspaper article date and the names all correlate that, that that was, that was truly, that truly happened. Well, I'm. That's Vegas. That's the perfect place, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I would tend to think that you're you're dead on there. I mean, I've I've had people who have looked up some records and they've sent me emails for people with the same name, Gene Rains, but it's definitely not the same Gene Rains because uh, I, I believe somebody sent me an obituary from somebody in the Midwest named Gene Rains. And it just mentioned that they were uh, – it didn't mention military service. It didn't mention being a musician. It said something like being a foreman at at a at some cement plant or something, you know. And yeah, that, that clearly doesn't correlate. No, definitely not him because, you know, being an officer, I think one of the things that they would probably say in an obituary is, is he was an officer. Um, uh and then there's that one I don't I I think you know about it too that um when I first started trying to find out who this guy was I I literally did a Google search for the term Gene Rains. And of course I got a lot of Claude Rains. <laughs> of course. <laughs> a lot a lot of you had Claude Rains filter. <laughs> right. Had a lot of Claude Rains, but I found this it it was so obscure. It was there's this crayon crayon artist and he's very good. Uh he does real beautiful art with you know with crayon, it's melted and all kinds of stuff. Um and he had a forum and on that forum, one of the people posted said that she was the sister of uh, her. Well, her brother used to live in Hawaii, and he played 
uh, he played in the airport for uh, he played Hawaiian music in the airport. Now, I know back then they had musicians playing in the airports. And he said and she said his name was Gene Rains. And I just about well, fell off my seat. And that's uh, just about a 100 percent marker. Yeah. If, in fact, she was, you know, being honest about being the sister. And that does correlate to a genealogical record I found um, that shows that a gene range, a gene, a gene range, too many Mai Tais here. <laughs> uh, actually, my Mai Tai is a double and I supplemented it. All right. Uh, and All it, right. It's, <laughs> uh, there was a genealogical record uh, that indicated a gene range and uh, Madras, Oregon passed away in 2004 his birth date was 1930 which is right in line right in line it, right in line and he had sisters because there was a sister obituary with, and there was a second sister uh, that happened earlier that was tied to that same gene reigns uh so uh i have you know it, it's uh by no means sure but the coincidences do kind of suggest that Gene had a relatively long life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it does make sense. It correlates to the, to the gene that came from Oregon. Yeah. So it would seem that he moved back to Oregon, spent the rest of, of, of the remainder of his life in Oregon. Do we have any idea what he did when he was there? Well, you know, there was, you know, he had definitely had a second mainland tour, uh, he didn't do, you know, as we said, the, the, the second, you know, the, the second and final recordings were on that first mainland tour, but we have evidence and a number of places that he played at on the second mainland tour. One of which, interestingly enough, uh, thinking of the Hukilau uh -huh. was at the Pier 66, uh, you know, at their uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Really? In, in November of 1962. That is a cool and, hotel, too, for anybody that's and, listening. That is a very yes, cool hotel. Indeed. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, it, we, we have that. And then, of course, we have your interview with Paul Conrad that, you know, said that he had last heard that he was doing, you know, selling Cadillacs, I believe, in <laughs> Seattle. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, uh, what's, you know, kind of interesting is, is that we know in that second mainland tour that he did go to Seattle. Mm. Uh, I have evidence that he was performing in Seattle. Mm. So maybe he was selling cars on the side, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if he's going to sell, he might as well sell a Cadillac, I guess. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, that, you know, it's really interesting that, you know, they're... I mean, here here is a guy who was on a major label, and there's very little known about him. It's it's interesting, and you know, come to find out again, a little bit of just piecing together anecdotal information. I, I've come to pretty much believe as fact that all of his Decca master tapes went up in a fire at Universal. Uh, in fact, a lot of DECA and uh, ABC records and I, I think DOT records, a lot of their master tapes went up in a fire at the archives um, at Universal. 
and it was literally on the universal back lot apparently uh, and when uh, I was working with um, real gone music to release the CD the compilation uh, CD it's such a great CD by the way with I, I you know I, I pleasure looking at that because you know we have uh, nothing other than our fire eating mer- favorite fire eating mermaid on the uh, on the cover yeah. the, on the cover of that what an accomplishment thank you for doing that oh by the way. well you know I, I I have to hand it to you I, I had just been harping on the whole gene reigns thing for so long and then they actually came to me it was um well, randy uh randy poe who's who's the author and he's part of of real gone he convinced them and just by happenstance i knew one of the guys who did a lot of the artwork for them who was uh um tom klein and uh, uh. So, Tom and I worked together on Tiki Magazine. Yes, he is a phenomenally talented I guy. I love Tom. <laughs> yes. Talented guy, funny guy, really sweetheart of a guy. And um, so it's like these these three things came together and it was like all of a sudden, wow, they wanted to do the Gene Reigns. But um, it took them, according to the... Um, the head guy over at Real Gone, it took them almost a year to get the rights because um, Universal, they just, they weren't interested because they thought it wasn't going to generate enough money, which I find fascinating. That that tells me that there's a lot of back catalog that isn't released because the, the labels probably just aren't interested. Um, and then once he finally got the rights, they they told him the master tapes didn't exist anymore and that they had been destroyed. And that's where I started piecing together. It wasn't long after that that I read an article about the fire at Universal. And one of the things they listed um, was a huge portion of DECA went up with that fire. And so I'm oh assuming that... I'm assuming that that was it. You know, the rains material probably went up. So there's... I mean, there's probably some, you know, there's probably some, I mean, DECA did more than just Hawaiian. So there's probably a lot of artists there on DECA that, that, uh, the master tapes went, which that's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking. It's also to think because Gene Rains was kind of the back catalog, not that well known, um, it's safe to say that his material hadn't been digitally archived. So it, you know, there, there's no digital copy of it out there. Um, but, you know, thank goodness. Thank goodness. I had some really clean LPs and, and they actually used my LP transfers for the, for the Gene Rain CD. And they came out really good. I mean, they didn't, you know, you're not digitiki for, for not that. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so you are there, there were a couple of other things about gene that we might mention though oh yes um you know uh when gene first started performing hawaii was still a territory and uh the you know in august of 1959 it became a state the formal celebration of statehood occurred in november in the honolulu stadium and it was hosted by Webley Edwards of Hawaii Calls. Yeah. And it had a lineup of, you know, a zillion 
you know, Hawaiian musicians, but the second act was Gene Rains and his quartet. Uh. And he, and when he performed, he performed uh, two songs. One was Mai Tai, which I love. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the other was Sheena no Yoro, which is, I believe, Japanese for night in China. Uh-huh. Or maybe it's Chinese for night in China. Yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, and then the, many other musicians, you know, and dance routines followed him, but he was second to perform. You know, it's a shame there's not more photographs out there. Uh, I, you know, I have this feeling there's probably some in the newspaper archives, or they've been flushed out, maybe uh, that have just never been, you know, printed. They're just sitting in negatives. We maybe. do have some, though, courtesy of the newspapers. Yeah, and if I haven't shared them with you, I, sh- I definitely should. But I should also mention that uh, Gene uh, did his original recording. Um, contract was with Dot Records, but that apparently did not fully work out. So that would have been before DECA? So Dot was interesting? Before DECA. Before DECA. Interesting, interesting. Okay. And he he actually uh, also, this was while uh, uh, he was still in the service, he apparently, uh, he and several other island residents um, had stand-in roles and a uh, and and two American crime drama television series, and I haven't you know actually tried to find any of these to see if I can spot him, but it was uh, uh, Review Studios of Los Angeles filmed them filmed them these location shots in July of 1958, huh. and uh, one of the uh, TV series was State Trooper, which starred Rod Cameron. And it ran from 1957 to 1959. And then the other was Mike Hammer, starring uh, Darren McGavin, uh, a name I think you would recognize, which ran from 1957 to 1959. Somewhere in those shows, there's probably a shot of Gene Rains, right? (laughs) Indeed. If we could go back and look, you know, I don't know which episodes. Right. I guess we would, you know, maybe you could find out an episode that occurred in Hawaii and perhaps look at doubt, but that would be a little bit of sleuthing beyond that, which I've done. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. So I'm put, I'm, I'm putting it out there again for all the listeners, anybody in Oregon research Gene Rains and his wife, what was her name again? Marilyn. Shopes, I think it was. Shopes. So it would have been Gene. That was her maiden name. Gene and Marilyn Rains. Yeah. All right. There you go. And so, and we pretty much think they didn't have any children, right? Not that we know uh, of. Right. There's no no evidence of that anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but there was another uh, Gene Rains uh, venture, I think, because he was beholden to Sonny Burke to produce a lot more than he did. There was a television adventure series that was filmed in Hawaii about a couple of freelance uh, journalists who engaged in detective work. 
Uh, it was known as Follow the Sun. It was, uh, you know, it ran, I think, in the 61, 62 time frame. I've never heard of that. Apparently, according to a newspaper article, um, Gene Rains was involved in recording the background music for that. So I'm sure that Sonny Burke, who was in, who was credited as the composer of the show's theme song, leaned on Gene, you know, to to uh, record some background music for that. Oh my God! So she was beholden for a lot more than he delivered. So there were, uh, you know, uh, I guess the series was kind of like you know similar to Hawaii and I, and maybe a Hong Kong, which was another you know, series in that vein. See, there's it, a lot it, of stuff I did not know. <laughs> there, There is another interesting, uh, you know, uh, intersection here. Uh, in 1960, Gene and his quartet played on a Honolulu AM radio station. It was uh, KGU 760. Uh, it was known as the Luncheon with Chemo show. And, you know, so he, the host, Kimo McVeigh, was quite a character. <laughs> he was known as a probably the best known and most outrageous of, of uh, Hawaiian um, promoters and managers of entertainers. He himself, you know, uh, you know, played the piano and did, did some entertainment himself, but he was a vice president of Duke Kahanamoku's and uh, he brought Don Ho, you know, to, to the Duke Ah. and he, he coerced Don Ho into singing and recording tiny bubbles, uh, which Don didn't particularly like, but it became his trademark tourist song. Um, You know, and, and some have, have compared Kimo McVeigh, uh, with Colonel Tom Parker, who was Elvis <laughs> Presley's right. you know, manager in terms. And there's another interesting aside. Uh, Kimo's dad was the captain of the uh, Indianapolis, which, you know, was torpedoed in, uh, in World War II. Wow. And his dad was, you know, blame, you know, sub, you know, received partial blame for that. And he spent his lifetime trying to get his dad's name cleared. And he actually managed to do that late in his life through mm. an act of Congress. He wow. got his dad's name, you know, be, you know, the, it was, he was improperly blamed for yeah. what the carnage that followed. If you re- recall many of the, there were many survivors of that torpedoing, but they were, you know, put out in the open oceans and many of them succumbed to shark attacks yeah. before they were actually, you know, picked up. So mm. it was a pretty sad tale, but you know, it was just another interesting aside yeah. that Gene, you know, was a, uh, somewhat of a, a regular, um, you know, on, on the show, the yeah. radio show with uh, chemo. That's it. That's fascinating. So you've also managed to, you've uncovered a lot of info about other artists too. Like Alex Kayak being the one there's, um, yeah, that one really was a challenge because I first learned about him on one of the Quiet Village podcasts, <laughs> and I was so enamored with the music. You know, I got the album, you know, the digital album.
Surfer's Paradise. Right, Surfer's Paradise. It's like, how can a guy, you know, who would with such great music be an unknown? It's just not possible. He's got to have footprints out there. Yeah. You know, but I kept looking and I kept looking and I, you know, there was no background information on the album itself. And there was nothing out there for Alex Kayak mm-hmm. with the E before the A. I said, okay, given that that's the case, let me try a, a let's try a little game here. Let me change the order of that and see if there's a spelling issue here. And when I put the A before the E, I hit pay dirt. Brilliant. Like, suddenly he came to life. <laughs> You know, I mean, there was an Alex, Alexander Paki Kayak, born in Honolulu in 1926. His father was the deputy high sheriff of the city and county of Honolulu in the territory of Hawaii. Wow. I mean, he was a beach boy. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, he surfed and spent his time on the early time on the beaches of Waikiki, probably earning some money, you know, entertaining the tourists and teaching them to surf and so on. Mm-hmm. But he was a, he had quite a, a background to him. And uh, he, you know, earliest on in the 19, early 1950s, he had a trio playing jazz at a, uh, at a club on the uh, road to Cocoa Head. And uh, that, that trio grew to a quartet and he, you know, then he became well-known as a featured, um, you know, with his quartet on the AM radio station, KHON in Honolulu, 1380, playing Hawaiian, mainland and Latin American arrangements. And we know that, you know, he tended to have a little bit of a Latin beat, you know, to his music. Definitely. Yeah. And, And then in 1957, this Alex, with the A before the E, he married a beauty by the name of Nalani de Clerc, who was seen on the silver screen quite a few times as a youngster. Uh, she and her sister were child hula dancers in 1957 in the Bing Crosby film Waikiki Wedding. Uh, her uh. sister played the role of Dorothy Labore's daughter in the 1937 film, The Hurricane. And then, according to Turner Classic Movies, Nalani and her sister were dancers in the 1935 Universal film, Hawaiian Nights. Oh, then, great. you know, in, 19, in 1959, uh, we, I, I think I already mentioned this, Alex was invited to join the Invitations. It was a group known for their harmonizing. Mm-hmm. He, uh, when uh, I... Clem Lau left, you know, Alex took over the keyboard and uh, then he was, he was, um, you know, recorded in their album, uh, the RSVP album where yeah. he was featured, yeah. you know, on the cover of that. Pretty red I've admired you right from the start. You're the flower of my heart 
a good album. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it is. And uh, and then uh, you know he left. You know, Buddy Fo left to join Martin Denny when Augie Cologne left, and uh, Alex by that time had already left the Invitation, so he was. He eventually ended up in Los Angeles in, in uh, 1962. And he, uh, you know, according to newspaper articles, he was associated with the Hawaiian Eye TV show that ran from 59 to 63. But there, was, there wasn't a specific role mentioned. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but the Hawaiian Eye star, Ponce Ponce, uh, rec- when he recorded his 1962 LP of Hawaiian songs, Potsy Pot Sings. Yeah. Alex Kayak was the backing musician. Oh my goodness. Wow, see, that's cool. And again, it's 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 that whole kind of you know, it's 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 Ohana. They were all together, you know. They all, indeed they all were uh they all knew each other and worked with each other. I love that, you know, the the whole uh the whole collaborative uh, well, you know, there probably weren't that many musicians there because it was a small town. So they probably all had to pool their resources. <laughs> Indeed. So, you know, Alex himself um, it started recording with Palm Records in the summer of uh, 1966. And one of the releases, these were 45 RPM records with an A and a B side. Uh-huh. Uh, the A side of his first recording was Tiny Bubbles. Oh. And it preceded Don Ho's recording that would become the penultimate, you know, Tiny Bubbles. But uh, he also recorded with uh, uh, Kalani uh, Kinamaka, uh-huh. who was a, a, who himself appeared as a chief. And a 1979 episode of Fantasy Island, oh. <laughs> and uh, he was he was part of more than 50 episodes of Hawaii Five-O, the original series. Oh wow, that's cool, man! You have done no. some serious sleuthing, man. That is fantastic. And of course, you know, uh, Kui Lee wrote actually wrote Tiny Bubbles, mm-hmm. and when you know when Kui Lee. You know, died young from cancer. Kayak co-wrote with Lonnie Kai a tribute song to him, and it was titled "A Man Called Hawaii: The Legend of Kui Lee." It became quite a hit oh. release on Palm Records, and um, Lonnie Kai himself was a reg- regular cast member in the television series "Adventures in Paradise" that yeah. ran from '59 to '62. That was, you know, created by James Mishner. Right. And uh, he went on, Lonnie Kai went on to be cast in television episodes of Hawaii Five O and Hawaii and I. So he also had roles in Elvis Presley's Blue Hawaii and the Ann Baxter film in 1971, The Late Liz. So, uh, and then Lonnie Kai uh, released his own you know, 1963 album, right. Island Love Songs, which yeah. was, you know, well, well received. But I think one of the really interesting things, you know, lives on is that uh, there was a young rock and roller by the name of Jeff Apaka, mm. who was approached by Alex in the late 1960s 
Alex suggested, you know, you might want to change your genre from rock and roll to reconsider your father's material. I know it's not your thing, but think about this. And he spent a year coaching Jeff Apaka to convert over to the Hawaiian genre. And then he actually wrote uh, the theme song for his first opening show uh, in Paradise. And then Jeff Apaka became known um, and very successfully for Hawaiian music. And Jeff is still alive. And you can actually find him, I think, on Facebook. So, yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, and then Kayak went on to entertain and uh, California nightclubs and restaurants. He was actually became a resident of the L.A. area. And but he he unfortunately died early. We know that he died uh, from cancer at age 45 in Los Angeles mm. in December of 1971. Um, but the interesting thing about Kayak is you can go on to you know, to Amazon.com and you can order, you know, Surfer's Paradise under the name Hawaii, Hawaii Goes Latin. Yes. And it's, under, and it's still, <laughs> mis, it's the name of the artist is still misspelled with the E before the A. <laughs> so it may, so maybe his name was Alex Keck. Maybe it's pronounced Keck instead of Keck. Yeah, it, it might have been. You know, it's hard, I don't think it was cake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Alex cake. <laughs> wow, that you know, that's fascinating stuff. I mean, you you have found some great, great stuff, and I have to say, you have put me to shame. <laughs> Not at all. Oh yeah, you that's know, great I story. love listening to the Quiet Village podcast because you've introduced me to so many great 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 tunes and uh you know the japanese lady who sings hawaiian music in bossa nova you know i mean that's one oh. of the uh yes you know one of my favorites but you know so i learned from you and then if there's a mystery left you you happen to mention it and i i take that as a challenge yeah I, you know i'm i'm one of those people too i i love a mystery and it's you want to know the truth, but also it's kind of nice that there's a mystery to to something. Absolutely. So it's kind and, of this. We, yeah. You know, we can you know rest assured that we have by no means uncovered all there is to be known about this individual. Right. Absolutely. Yes, I'm sure. Uh, somewhere out there, somebody's going to tell me. Oh yeah, I I live down the street with the guy who is his next door neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> In, in Oregon somewhere. I'm waiting for that to happen. But, um, you know, and, and what you were saying about, you know, uh, Jeff Apaka, you know, still around there, you know, there's still a few. There are so many, you know, stories out there, you know, and some of the, you know, mid-century performers. That's what I so enjoyed on my Tiki magazine assignments, mm -hmm. finding you know, Polynesian entertainers from the mid-century and interviewing them and getting the material. Of course, in most cases, they didn't collect things like photographs and put dates on them or anything. You had to go back and unravel where they were when. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they're still alive, but it's getting, you know, to the outer fringes 
yeah. you know, for folks in the mid-century, you know, and, uh, you know, it, there, there are many really interesting stories that are going to be lost. Yes, yes. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on, and let's talk a little bit about you and your fabulous career. I mean, you you sound like you had a real fascinating career, a real rocket scientist. Well, if you know, I was very fortunate. I, uh, you know, graduated with an engineering degree in chemical engineering. Uh, I didn't start out in rocket science or anything like that, but I ended up there fairly early in my career uh, at Kennedy Space Center and Cape Canaveral, and I had about a 40-year career uh, with, you know, involved in the launch of every major launch system, you know, in America, including the Space Shuttle, where I was a lead engineer, uh, the Atlas Delta Titan and most recently the the Falcon, you know SpaceX's Elon Musk, uh-huh. you know Falcon program as a government uh, technical representative, and uh, so it spanned about forty years and you know just shy of about one hundred and sixty launches. Wow! And I'm, uh, you know, it was a fabulous career. I met many, uh, you know, folks that you know I I admire to this day. Many who are what not well known, some who were, um, and uh, then I retired and most recently in 2017. But uh, I wasn't forgotten. Apparently, um, you know, I, I live about 70 miles north of the Cape, but uh, I was called back in October of last year to receive a lifetime achievement award from the National Space Club. All right, um, and uh, you know, which was. Uh, you know, an honor that far exceeded anything I'd ever wanted or expected. But as that award went to such folks as the NASA Apollo launch director and the Kennedy Space Center director and the first commander of the 45th Space Wing, you know, um, but uh, it was uh, an honor I don't take lightly. In fact, you know, I stay, I still stay connected. There was supposed to have been a launch a national security launch of an atlas this morning that didn't happen because of weather mm-hmm. that tropical storm that's forming off southeast florida kind of foiled that but we'll see yeah but it's still an exciting thing going on and i still have many friends and connections to what's going on down there we're about to launch the first two astronauts on an american-based uh capsule to the international space station next week Oh, wonderful. Wow, that is fascinating. I mean, you know, when people make the joke, well, it ain't rocket scientists, you can say, well, yeah, it is. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's it's all in the same nature of things, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you have to, it's all about the details. You have to have the broad picture as well, but that's what makes a mystery a mystery, too, yeah. you know, is climbing through the little details. And uh, I, I just love it. You know, yeah. I'm... In my, um, you know, my retired life, I, I'm a docent and uh, on the board of a local museum, and I've written a book about early aviators in our area. So I'm keeping myself, you know, occupied and, you know, fascinated. Life is still fascinating. Yes, it 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 is. I mean, it's funny. The older I get, the more I want to know about things I didn't know I didn't know. 
if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> you know, you you uncover more stuff and you just want to know more and then it leads you to something else that you want to know more about and it's it's wonderful. It keeps you young, you know, at least young in your mind. Yes. But as long as you and your mind, you know, keep that fascination with all that's going on, life is good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that goes with space too. I've always been fascinated by by space exploration. I I love watching the, you know, Discovery Channel, History Channel, um documentaries about the moon and that recent one that came out i think it was called apollo 11 where they found all this lost 70 millimeter footage that yes. was just gorgeous beautiful i mean there are incredible people working on the space program the young people coming on board let me tell you before i retired uh, there was no disappointment they impressed the heck out of me yeah we have the younger people that are coming into the program are truly impressive. And so there is a future, you know, Um, you see some things out there that make you wonder, let me tell you, (laughs) there are a lot of folks out there that really are, you know, in the young, young folks that really have it connected. Yeah. And I think we have a bright future that way. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I want to say big mahalos to, out to uh, Tom Duncan, the rocket man, right? Rocket scientist. I'm going to call you the rocket scientist. Huh? (laughs) What's that? Delighted. (laughs) Delighted. It was wonderful to have you on. And you know what? I have, I have this feeling that you're going to uncover more as time goes on. I'm going to have you back to talk more about stuff that you found because you've really found some cool stuff and you've enlightened me about things I had no idea about. So that's, very that's cool i love that so once again thank you and um uh well is there anything you want to add before before i sign off uh mahalo and i have my assignment you have (laughs) that's right synchronized watches okay all right aloha Big thanks to Tom Duncan for coming on the show. I really enjoyed that. There was a lot of information. I hope that you all uh, enjoyed that and got a little more information about the history and all of the different um, interweavings of Hawaiian music and more about Gene Rains. If you're at all as interested in Gene Rains as I am, really, really want to thank Tom Duncan for coming on and sharing that. And I want to remind you that you can go to The Quiet Village at any time simply by going to digitiki.com to get more tiki music as well as the names of the songs and snippets played on this and past shows. Um, I did play a couple of interludes by the Gene Rains group that are part of the Axel Stordahl album, The Magic Islands Revisited, Uh, We have not heard those before. I've not played those before, so I hope you enjoyed those. One of the things I did find that I want to close here with is the theme from the 1961 TV show Follow the Sun that Tom had mentioned. Gene Raines uh, played the background music for Follow the Sun. Well, I found the theme song. Um, It's by Lionel Newman. It has kind of a Polynesian feel to it. And uh, there's vibes in it. So this might actually be 
Some Lost Gene Rains performing Follow the Sun TV show theme from 19, from 1961. Until next time, everyone, stay safe and aloha.